0: Visit bankofamerica.com bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.
1: The landscape around Geneva, at the border of Switzerland and France, is a serene, alpine vision. Snow-capped mountains soar above untouched forests and pristine, shining lakes. It's here that Marta Baiko spends her days in a very loud warehouse.
2: The hall where we are is dedicated to the superconducting magnets and components uh, testing and qualification for uh, their use into the uh, LHC machine.
1: Testing some of the strongest magnets in uh, in the world.
2: We have magnets which are uh, very long, up to 15 meters and up to 27 tons. So you have to position correctly and support them. So this is the yellow...
1: At the workshop, Engineers build magnets that are around 200,000 times stronger than the magnetic field of the Earth. That's what you need if you want to bend the path of particles travelling near the speed of light. These are the magnets for the most powerful particle collider the world has ever seen. The Large Hadron Collider, or LHC, sits in a circular tunnel nearby, deep under the Jura Mountains. It took 20 years to design, and another 10 years to build. It's part of the largest particle physics laboratory in the world, CERN. In 2012, a few years after the LHC had first been switched on, it helped physicists complete one of the most successful scientific ideas ever conceived.
0: This is a very, very preliminary result, but we think it's very strong, it's very solid. Otherwise, we wouldn't present it. And we've slowly, as we've gathered data, rediscovered the standard model to more and more rare processes and basically we're very confident now that we can
3: go after the rarest, which is the Higgs.
1: Two independent groups of scientists at the LHC had been looking for the elusive Higgs boson.
0: As a layman, I would now say, I think we have it.
1: You agree?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That moment was almost a decade ago, but there hasn't been another discovery of that magnitude since, at this most cutting edge of cutting edge laboratories. The Higgs boson was meant to be just the start. The LHC was meant to open up entirely new realms of physics to give scientists a window into the building blocks of atoms and why they interact with each other in the way they do. But all that new physics is still, well, it's still missing. And that's raising some profound and very difficult questions about where fundamental physics goes from here. Hello and welcome to Babbage from The Economist, our weekly podcast on science and technology. I'm Alok Jha, a science correspondent at The Economist. This week is the first of two episodes in which we'll take you on a trip to the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in Geneva. The LHC has been switched off for more than three years to allow scientists and engineers to tinker with the colliders and tweak the detectors. This vast machine, which sits in a tunnel that's 27 kilometres in circumference, is now set to reopen for a new phase of collisions, known by those who work there as RUN3. Ten years on from the headline-grabbing discovery of the Higgs boson, we ask, what will it take to find another breakthrough in our understanding of fundamental physics. Stepping off the tram that takes you from central Geneva to the main entrance of CERN, you could easily miss the fact that this is where thousands of scientists are hard at work building the future of physics. The mountains in the distance are certainly impressive, but otherwise a collection of warehouses and other low-rise office buildings are the only visible signs of CERN. The real action the true technological and scientific frontier lies 100 metres below the ground. Inside a tunnel sits the Large Hadron Collider.
2: I think it's good just to think about what the LHC is. It's an atom smasher.
1: Victoria Martin is a professor of collider physics at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. She also works on ATLAS, which is one of the experiments at the LHC.
2: And it takes protons, so Protons are the middle part of a hydrogen atom. So a hydrogen atom is really, really simple. It's just a proton and an electron kind of going around the proton. And we can remove the electron quite simply, actually. It's the same thing that you do when you get a balloon and you kind of rub it against yourself and put it against the wall. That's actually removing some of the electrons. So we do that a bit more technically. And then we get the protons that are left, speed them up to almost the speed of light and smash them into each other.
1: When you smash protons together at nearly the speed of light, they break apart. A cloud of debris made from the innards of subatomic particles expands in all directions. By carefully sorting through this mess, by counting the many different particles that are produced, Physicists test their ideas about the most fundamental building blocks of matter. It was after combing through the debris from millions of collisions that had taken place in its first few years of operation that the scientists at the LHC announced, in 2012, evidence for a previously unseen subatomic particle. Uh,
0: well, for me personally, it's it's just the confirmation of of something that I did 48 years ago and it's very satisfying.
1: That's Peter Higgs, one of the physicists who first proposed the theory behind this new particle back in the 1960s.
0: From the point of view of, of uh, future physics, well it seems to me that it's, in one way it's the end of, of an era in that it seems to complete the standard model, but the more important thing is the way that I think, as Rolf Hoyer said, it's the study of it will, will lead on to what lies beyond the Standard Model of physics, which we hope will have uh, more interesting connections with, with cosmology, the dark matter problem and that sort of thing.
1: The Standard Model is the scientific theory that describes all the known particles and forces in the universe. Everything inside our atoms and how those bits interact with each other is described in the mathematical language of quantum mechanics, by the Standard Model. Today, it stands as a towering intellectual achievement, built up over more than 80 years in tiny pieces by generations of physicists. In its earliest days though, one of the biggest unknowns in the Standard Model was why do the different particles, electrons, photons or whatever else, have the different masses that they do? In 1964, three physicists, Peter Higgs, François Englert, and Robert Brout, independently outlined a theory that the universe was permeated by an invisible force field. A particle's mass, they said, was just a measure of how strongly that particle interacted with this invisible field. Peter Higgs went on to show that a way to prove the existence of this force field would be to find its associated particle. In the decades afterwards, the force field came to be known as the Higgs field. And the associated particle everyone began to hunt for was the Higgs boson.
4: This year's prize is about something very small that makes all the difference.
1: The LHC found that particle in 2012.
4: The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences has decided to award the 2013 Nobel Prize in Physics to Professor François Englert.
1: As a result of the LHC's success, Peter Higgs and François Englert were jointly awarded the Nobel Prize for Physics in 2013. Robert Brute wasn't included in the prize since he had sadly died in 2011 and Nobel Prizes can't be given posthumously. The evidence provided by the LHC was important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it closed a gap in the standard model. And second, it was a neat demonstration of how fundamental physics normally works. The process of discovering new particles or forces usually starts with a prediction from a theoretical physicist. In the case of the Higgs boson, that was Francois Englert, Robert Brute and Peter Higgs. Today, those predictions come from people like Tavong Yu, a researcher at CERN and the University of Cambridge. I met Tavong at CERN's main cafeteria, which as well as feeding the thousands of scientists and technicians who work here, has an outsized importance in the advancement of physics itself.
0: This is a very important hub for CERN, where people come to discuss their work or to socialise, in which a lot of important ideas also get generated in this aspect. So this is the place where I was a CERN summer student in 2011, where I formed many connections with people who have become friends and colleagues who I still keep in touch with. I would randomly bump into people who are visiting here, that uh, we would then catch up on new ideas, discuss the latest papers. This is where all the gossips on the latest uh, possible discoveries or the lack of discoveries gets discussed. And this is where experimentalists and theorists can also just hang out and chat about uh, our opinions, our views on many different aspects of particle physics.
1: This kind of interaction is a core part of the process of scientific discovery. Theoretical physicists like Tavong will propose ideas backed up by mathematics. Experimental physicists then work out how to build machines to test those ideas. On
0: one end, you have a very mathematical enterprise, which is almost entirely disconnected from experiment. It's really using mathematical tools and the self-consistency of mathematical theories to try to understand the types of theories that we are able to write down physically. The kind of theory that I do is trying to relate these mathematical ideas and how they're realized in nature. How do they manifest themselves in our experiments and how can we make predictions from them?
1: The discovery of the Higgs boson followed this course, but it also showed just how hard the experimental part of the enterprise is. The theory behind the Higgs was published in 1964, and it took almost 50 years for the experiments to catch up. When it did, it set an impressive precedent for the LHC. People around the world took notice, and they were keen to know what the collider would achieve next. But this is the part of the story where the hitherto smooth road gets a bit bumpy. In the ten years since the euphoric discovery of the Higgs boson, things have been quiet. At least things of the headline-grabbing variety. If you were being uncharitable, you might be wondering exactly what the thousands of scientists working at the cutting edge of physics had been doing for all those intervening years.
2: We have discovered one or two new particles as well as the Higgs boson. Victoria Martin. But they weren't that exciting because they're like composite particles of things we already knew existed. So they're composite particles of different quarks sticking together. So these were predicted and they're not, you know, they didn't cause a big revelation because it wasn't something completely new. But we did see these things for the first time and we are now understanding a bit more of how quarks stick together
1: which I think is very useful. Okay, so it's not as if the LHC has found nothing. But let's face it, the particle collisions here in the last decade certainly haven't cracked open the field of fundamental physics in the way that a lot of people, me included, had hoped. To understand why, we need to dig a bit deeper into the standard model.
2: The way that we understand particle physics is through this model that we call the standard model. That's not a super inspired name. It classifies the way that particle physics works into the different particles that exist, the different subatomic particles that exist, like quarks and leptons and neutrinos, and also the interactions that take place between those particles. And I mean, this is a gloriously beautiful thing that you can write down in probably several pages of equations, but it amazingly seems to describe almost everything that happens down at the subatomic level.
1: As a reminder, the standard model describes what the basic building blocks of matter are and how they interact with each other. There are two broad classes of particles, the fermions and the bosons. The fermions make up the stuff that we're all actually made of. Bosons carry the forces between all that stuff. Fermions can be divided into two types, leptons and quarks. Leptons include the electron which whizz around atoms and also carry electricity. Quarks are the fundamental particles inside protons and neutrons. Now, the other class of particles are bosons. Photons, for example, are the bosons that carry the electromagnetic force, and they're also the particles of light. Gluons carry something called the strong nuclear force. And we've already talked about the Higgs boson. That is gives mass to all the other particles and ties the standard model together.
2: We can use that to make very precise predictions for some things, like the masses of some of the particles or how often certain things will happen, like how often we make a Higgs boson in the LHC.
1: With the discovery of the Higgs boson in 2012, the standard model was finally complete. So, job done? Not quite. Though it's one of the most tested, most successful scientific ideas of all time, the standard model is actually not a complete description of our universe. It doesn't, for example, include a description of gravity, one of the four fundamental forces of nature, and the most important when it comes to the cosmic scales of the universe. There are more holes too, as Tavong Yu, the theoretical physicist who we met at CERN earlier, explained to me.
0: The Standard Model only accounts for 5% of our universe. We know this because cosmologists have essentially weighed the universe indirectly, and they tell us that 95% of it is some form of dark energy and dark matter. And they've told us that uh, some 70% of it is in the form of some dark energy that we don't know anything about. 30% of it is matter of which... 25% is some dark matter, some particle whose properties can't be accounted for by any of the standard model particles.
1: Dark energy is the name for the stuff that's thought to be causing the acceleration of the expansion of the universe. And dark matter is yet another mysterious substance, thought to be like a cosmic cement, holding the universe together. The standard model doesn't explain either of those things. It also can't explain why there's any stuff at all in the universe.
0: The kinds of experiments that we do in which we probe the properties of particles are the same properties that affect the cosmic microwave background light, which is the primordial light that arrives to us from particle collisions in the early universe. There are other ways in which our theories of physics beyond the Standard Model could affect the early universe. For example, the Higgs boson itself permeates the entire universe. This is how it gives mass to the other particles. And this configuration where we live in this Higgs field that surrounds us is a bit like a fish living in an ocean where it's not aware of the water that it's living in. Now, just like the water that the fish lives in could have been in a phase of ice once and transitioned from ice to liquid, the Higgs field in our universe could have been in a very different phase in the early universe. And this transition from this different phase to our current one is something that could be responsible for why we have matter instead of antimatter. In our universe today.
1: In the Big Bang, which created our universe 13.7 billion years ago, equal amounts of matter and antimatter were created. Now, antimatter is a kind of inverse of the matter that you and I are made of. Its particles are almost identical to normal matter, but they've got the opposite electrical charge. When matter and antimatter get too close, they annihilate each other, releasing a huge amount of energy in the process. Given the way the universe began, you might think that all the matter and antimatter should have been annihilated by now. This evidently hasn't happened. Though we see lots of normal matter around us today, antimatter is vanishingly rare, and no one knows why. To fill all these gaps in our knowledge, physicists know that they need something that goes beyond the standard model. And that's where the LHC comes in.
2: You can actually broadly classify the work that we do into kind of two things. So firstly, perhaps what most listeners might find more exciting is we look for something new, something that we didn't know about before that was created in these collisions. So there's a lot of people that work on the LHC. And the other thing you can do is you can try to measure more precisely, more accurately, something that we know about already. And then actually what we hope is that it doesn't quite make sense because from that we can then infer that we didn't really understand what we were doing and that maybe we're seeing something new but just in a kind of roundabout way.
1: To physicists like Victoria Martin, these results are what get them up in the morning. The anomalies are chinks of light, cracks in the edifice of the mighty Standard Model that might be a path to the new physics. But after so many years without another Higgs moment, do they really expect to find new physics at the LHC's next phase? That's coming up. It's that time of the year. Today we're at CERN, the European Particle Physics Lab in Geneva, investigating what to expect from the restart of the Large Hadron Collider. During its most recent shutdown, many parts of the LHC were completely rebuilt. The aim was to make the collisions more energetic and the detectors themselves more sensitive. To find out exactly what's been upgraded, I visited CERN's control centre.
4: So we have here a 24-7 manning, uh, 365 days a year. The room is divided in, in what we call the islands.
1: Renda Steerenberg, the head of the operations group at CERN, showed us around.
4: And from some of the islands, so one of the islands, we control the CERN technical infrastructure. That's everything that is needed to be able to run the accelerators. This means the electrical power coming in, the cooling towers that need to cool the systems, the cryogenic systems that has to bring down the temperature of these superconducting magnets in the Large Hadron Collider.
1: Now, the... The LHC has been operational for more than a decade and has made plenty of really interesting discoveries. And I just wonder if you could explain to people why it has to shut down every so often to be upgraded and continue. Because, you know, people might think, well, you built it once. That's it, isn't it?
4: I understand, yes, indeed, that you might think that. Well, there are two reasons for these shutdowns. One is these machines, they need preventive and corrective maintenance. So this means that for the LHC, for example, since this is a superconducting machine, we have to bring it up to room temperature before you can start working on it. So normally it's around minus 270 degrees in the centre of these magnets. If you want to do something, you have to bring that up. That takes several months. Then you do all the work... And then before you run the machine again, you have to cool it down. So that's why these shutdowns are relatively long. Now, besides doing this corrective and preventive maintenance, we also do upgrades. The experiments, they want to have collisions. And the more collisions they have, the more probability is that we can discover something or the better we can confirm a discovery or make precision measurements. And these kind of improvements and upgrades, we do also during these long shutdowns.
2: One reason we shut down is actually to kind of update the technology that we use in the LHC.
1: That's Victoria Martin again.
2: The other one is because we're actually trying to make the LHC better. And we can make it better basically in two ways. Firstly, by getting more protons, more atoms into the LHC to do the colliding. And also by increasing the energy of those protons. And to increase the energy of the protons, we have to change the magnetic field that we use. Now, if you get anything and you get it going super fast, so that's what we do in the LHC, we get the protons going super fast. It's 99.999999% of the speed of light. And when anything is going that fast, it really, really, really wants to go in a straight line. But because this is an atom smasher, we really, really, really want the protons to go around the 27 kilometre tunnel that is the LHC. So we can smash them into some protons that are coming in the other direction. And we use the magnetic fields just to tease the protons around that loop. So if we want them to be more energetic need to have stronger magnetic fields just to tease them around the 27 kilometre loop that we have. We can't change the size of that loop, but we can make the protons more energetic if we have a way to bend them more. So actually the main change that's gone on now is just to tease our magnets just a little bit to have a little bit more magnetic field and therefore we can have a little bit more energy into the protons.
1: The scientists are currently firing up the new, improved collider. The process takes a while, but in a few weeks, the latest incarnation of the LHC will be fully operational.
4: We fill the LHC with particles in one direction and the other, and we fill it with packages, and these packages are bunches, 2,800 in one direction, 2,800 in the other direction. These packages of particles, they have these bunches, they have the shape of a spaghetti. So what you can imagine is that you have 2,800 spaghettis going in one direction, and 2,800 in the other direction. And each spaghetti containing more than 100 billion protons. And then in the experiments, these spaghettis, they come together. Not all the 100 billion will collide, but but only 50, and then they will continue. And then the other spaghettis come, and and they will collide. And this happens at the rate of 40 million times in a second. So in the end, what we're going to do, we're going to have the same amount of spaghettis in the machine, but the number of protons in each spaghetti will increase while the size of the spaghetti will be slightly smaller. And then in addition, what we do around the experiments, we squeeze the beam to very small dimensions, which means that the size of the spaghetti becomes the size of a hair, but it contains the same amount of protons. So that's why we have even more collisions after squeezing these beams into, into these small dimensions.
1: So what can particle physicists actually do with all those new collisions and higher energies? We jumped in the car to find out. There are a number of experiments sitting around the 27 kilometer circumference of the Large Hadron Collider. One of the big ones is called LHC Beauty or LHCB, named after the beauty quark which is the heaviest of these types of particles. In the LHCB's control centre, I met Chris Parks. He leads the experiment and is also a professor at the University of Manchester.
3: In LHCB, our real speciality is studying differences between matter and antimatter. That's one of the key things we were designed for. We also look at extremely rare decays, so where you have one particle which then decays into other particles, but this is something in these particular decays happen with very low
1: frequency. Let's talk about the upgrade. So the LHCB is one of the detectors that's been radically overhauled. Take us through what you've done and what the new version of this detector will be able to do.
3: Yes, absolutely. So this version of the experiment is going to allow us to take more collisions than we were able to take before, but it's also going to give us much more flexibility in the study areas. So pretty much, in fact, something like 90% of the sensitive detector elements of the detector, the underlying technology, have changed for this upgrade.
1: That means that the detectors at the LHCB will be able to measure known particles even better than before.
3: One thing that we've had at LHCB in the last few years is some intriguing hints that in decays of beauty quarks, which involve so-called leptons, they're electrons and they're heavy cousins, that we expect these decays to behave in the same way, whether they've got an electron in them or whether they've got one of the heavier versions of the electron, which are known as the muon and the tau. And there are a couple of um, intriguing anomalies where they're not at all conclusive, but they seem. A hint that there could be a tension with the standard model, that there could be something intriguing happening and with this new detector we'll be able to collect larger data sets, we'll have higher flexibility, we'll have greater efficiency for selecting the events that we uh, want to study and as a result we will be
1: able to probe this further. The LHC is currently in the middle of restarting, so we weren't allowed to go into the tunnels around the detectors themselves. But Chris did take us to a workshop at the LHCB, where engineers and scientists were putting the final touches onto some of the upgraded instruments that'll soon be installed into the detector, ready for run three. Um, so you
3: can see an aluminium frame at the bottom. And then sticking up from that, you can see 26 um, silicon detector modules. Uh, so you can think of those um, as like the camera in your mobile phone. The technology is a little bit similar because it's a silicon detector, the same as you have um, for taking pictures in your mobile phone. But this version is radiation hard and it takes pictures 40 million times a second. And what you have uh, arrayed along there is 26 detectors in a row. And the collisions of the LHC, as you go through each silicon detector, you'll get a hit in the pixels of that silicon detector. You join the dot to make the track. You project the track back. Um, you can measure the distances and that, that gives. that's all predicted by the standard model, essentially. That's right, yeah. that's right. It comes from the lifetime of the particle, yeah. um, how far it's going to travel. Um, um, so indeed, um, this is the closest in detector to the LHC beams. The, the inner part of these detectors are only five millimeters um, from where um, the uh, proton-proton
1: collision. In its next phase, the LHC will run experiments aimed at finding data that doesn't match the predictions from the standard model. A recent example of a discrepancy is with the mass of a particle called the W boson. Remember bosons are the particles in the standard model that carry forces. The W boson carries the weak nuclear force. It's also involved in a type of radioactive decay. A team of scientists working at the CDF experiment at the Tevatron Collider at Fermilab in Illinois found that the W boson's mass didn't exactly match the value predicted by the standard model. Though their measurements were taken many years ago, the analysis proved so complex that the discrepancy was only announced recently.
2: What our colleagues at CDF measured was something that's what we call seven standard deviations away from the standard model value.
1: That's Victoria Martin again. She works at CERN now, but previously worked on the CDF experiment.
2: And severed standard deviations is huge. Normally we don't expect things to be off by more than two or three of these standard deviations. So it's just, there's a big gap between what the standard model is telling us and the measurement from CDF. I think that's probably putting it in the, the most exciting light This is
1: exactly the kind of thing that gets Victoria most excited. Results that don't seem to make any sense. The previous incarnation of the LHC wasn't designed in the right way to be able to confirm or disregard the discrepancy with the W boson result. In run three, scientists hope to clear this all up. More results like this will push physics beyond the standard model. One candidate to replace the standard model is an idea that's been around in theoretical physics circles for many decades. It's called supersymmetry. Supersymmetry says that for every known standard model particle, there also exists a heavier supersymmetric partner that hasn't yet been seen. These partner particles have already been given names. The superpartners of the electron and quark, for example, are known as the selectron and the squark. So far, though, no evidence for such sparticles, and yes, that's a real word in physics, has been found at the LHC. It's led a lot of physicists to doubt whether supersymmetry is indeed the right answer. It's a beautiful idea, but perhaps the theorists got it wrong. Victoria Martin doesn't think so
2: supersymmetry seems to be slightly kind of religious, take on religious quantities within the particle physics community. Supersymmetry is at its simple level, the symmetry between fermions, which are things like quarks and electrons and neutrinos, and bosons that we've talked about quite a bit. It's, that's literally it. It says, for every fermion, there should be something that's really like that fermion, but a boson And for every boson that we know about, there should be something that's really similar to that boson, but happens to be a fermion. And it's a beautiful symmetry, in my opinion, because it's the only symmetry, that technical term here, that commutes with the symmetry of space-time. So the symmetry that describes structure that describes gravity. It's the only symmetry that commutes with um, space-time that we haven't seen in nature already. And so I really like it. I think, you know, it's kind of there saying, well, I must be there because all of those other symmetries we've seen and it just makes sense to be." However, what we could see at the LHC or what we can see at the LHC if it's there is if those extra supersymmetric particles are not too heavy.
1: So just because we haven't found any supersymmetric particles so far with the LHC's current energies and collisions, are you saying it doesn't mean that they might not appear in the future or that there are other versions of supersymmetry the theory that allow for the fact that the energies that the LHC has been colliding so far, you wouldn't see particles?
2: Both things, I would say, are correct. So, yeah, the particles, just the supersymmetric particles just could be too heavy or they just might be rare and we haven't quite been lucky enough yet to have seen them at the LHC. And we will be able to see them eventually with the LHC, but after we collect all of the Run 3 data. Victoria is
1: confident that Run 3 of the LHC will find some new physics, physics beyond the Standard Model. Do the other scientists at CERN agree though? Now that we have this last
3: piece in the puzzle of the Standard Model, it does very much mean that we're looking to obtain information from the data about what the new directions might be. That's Chris Parks again. So in that sense, for this area of new physics beyond the standard model, we're really waiting to see what the LHC data can show us. However, there's another element which often gets missed, which is very important for the theoretical calculations. In order to be able to see these differences, you need to have that theoretical prediction with extremely high precision. So a large fraction of what the theoretical physics community is doing for the LHC is not the speculations about new physics beyond but it's about helping make those precise predictions that will allow us to see whether there are any deviations and which indeed allow us to understand better the way in which the standard model itself works.
0: If you are a betting person then of course the likely thing is that uh, the standard model will reign supreme as it has done for the last century. Now Does this mean that uh, we should all just pack up and go home? Well, no, because we don't know what the answer is until we look. We won't know whether or not these hints of new physics are actually new physics or not. And anyone who tells you that it definitely is or isn't doesn't really know at this stage. So what Run 3 will be able to do is to expand further our small island of light into the darkness. So, LHC Run 3 will collect more data than we currently have, and more data will allow us to increase the precision with which we are able to see the Higgs and other fundamental particles interacting with each other. It will allow us to see whether or not there are indirect signs of some new physics, some new particles. If in these collisions some new particles beyond the standard model are being produced, then Perhaps they're hiding amongst these collisions, and perhaps they're only produced very rarely. So by having more collisions, being able to collect several times more data than we have so far, perhaps these heavy particles that are hiding there will be able to manifest themselves in the aggregate data.
1: In early July, the Large Hadron Collider will become fully operational once more, for Run 3. Will it produce the amounts of data physicists need? To push the frontiers of their knowledge? Well, no one knows until they try. But the thing is, the story of the LHC, and fundamental physics in general, doesn't end with Run 3. The latest upgrade will allow the LHC to do a lot of new things. But it's actually just an intermediary step. A staging ground for the next, ultimate iteration of this enormous particle collider. By the end of this decade, the LHC will be upgraded again and become reborn as the High Luminosity Large Hadron Collider or HL LHC, which is, to be honest, still a mouthful.
4: In the old machine, it was 320 megajoules. Now, 320 megajoules does not say a lot to anybody, even to me uh, who works daily with it. So I always like to compare it to something else. And if now you take one of these rapid trains for example in France and you make that train run at 150 kilometers an hour there is 320 megajoules stored energy in that train that sounds like quite a lot of energy <laughs> exactly exactly now for the HLHC we will go up to 620 megajoules
1: researchers attention is already turning to that project it promises even higher energies and even more collisions and even more chances to discover the fundamental mechanisms that control our universe. But will that be enough? That's next time on Babbage. Thanks to Marta Baiko, Victoria Martin, Tavon Yu, Renda Stierenberg, and Chris Parks. And thank you for listening. For more of our original reporting on science, technology and health, subscribe to The Economist. In the forthcoming weekly edition, you can find out why graphene is playing a role in decarbonisation. Get your best introductory rate for a subscription at economist.com slash podcast offer. There's a link in the show notes. Don't forget to join us next week as we continue our journey at CERN to explore the future of particle colliders there and elsewhere. Babbage is produced by Jason Hoskin, with mixing and sound design by Nico Rofast. Additional production support this week was provided by Timo Seiler. And the executive producer is Hannah Mourinho. I'm Alok Nshaar. From Geneva, this is The Economist.